Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Um, my family, when we would go to the, the dinner table very early on, we were taught table manners. Um, in fact, y'all really de- do need to pray for your pastor. Uh, I'm grounded. Um, my mom was in early service, and I showed the video I'm getting ready to show, so I can't go outside for like a month, and uh, I can't watch TV. I'm just going to have to hole up in my room. I got grounded. Uh, we had very specific table manners that I'm going to share with you this morning, and some of you will relate. But I found this video that kind of illustrates what we were not allowed to do. And so uh, I'm sorry if I ruin your lunch, but this is funny. I don't care who you are. And so, uh, Danny, if you'll roll this, it'll help us uh, get started this morning. So see now, some of y'all are going to be fasting today at lunch, so you can thank me for your spiritual walk. Um, we had table manners. I would have never gotten away with any of that at home. Like, like, for instance, we were taught you couldn't smack. You know, you had to eat. You had to chew with your mouth closed. And, and if we tried to start a conversation while we were eating, Mama would look at me and say, don't eat with your mouth open. You know, don't, don't talk with your mouth open. Close that mouth. And I'd have to shut my mouth. We couldn't whistle at the table. See, some of y'all didn't know that that's bad table manners if you whistle. We couldn't sing at the table, right? Uh, when, when we would finish, here, here's a biggie. When we were finished, I had to pick up my plate and carry it myself to the sink. Yeah, good manners. Now, here's the holy grail of table manners right here. This was the supreme of the supreme right here. You had to get this one right. I learned as a five-year-old, somewhere around five probably, that this was the number one table manner that I had to know. And it was this. I could not leave the table until everybody had finished. And so my mama told me that. And so I learned that when I was five. So I sat there as she ate. And when, I, when she finally finished and I was finally able to get up for the first time, I was 18. Uh, she's the slowest eater on the face of the planet. And But I had to wait. Still do. Even to this day, if we go out to eat at a restaurant, I can't leave until mama's done, right? And so those were table manners. I don't know what your table manners were like, but we had to learn table manners. And what I've discovered is that in Jesus' ministry, much of his ministry, if you go back and read through the New Testament, all the times that you see Jesus operating, a lot of times it took place around the table. 
He was constantly in communion and fellowship around the table. And so he, he had this interaction with people as they would eat. He must have been Pentecostal because we like to eat around the table. And so he, he was there and he did that. But at some point, uh, it's specifically in Luke chapter 14, and that's where we're going to go this morning if you want to turn there. Uh, at some point, Jesus felt compelled, if you will, to share with us table manners. See, it's not enough to just get to the table. I'm glad you're at the table. I'm glad that you know Jesus. I'm glad that he's your Savior. I'm glad that you're, you're in relationship with him. But it's one thing to get to the table. It's an entirely other thing to learn the table manners that keep you at the table. Because how many of you remember growing up, if you broke table manners, what happened? You got dismissed from the table, right? Go to your room right now. Am I the only one? Man, okay, I just want to make sure I got sent to my, oh, y'all, y'all don't know, I, I still need counseling. Uh, I got sent to my room so much. Uh, so Jesus said, if you're going to be one of my followers and if you're going to enjoy the fellowship, the meal, we, when we get together, it's fellowship, communion, whether we actually eat or not, we are communing with one another, then there are manners that you should live by. So let's see what he says. In Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, he says this, one time, when Jesus went for a Sabbath meal with one of the top leaders of the Pharisees, all the guests had their eyes on him, watching his every move. That I'm not going to talk about that this morning, but that's probably the number one table manner, is while you're at the table, you ought to be watching Jesus. So y'all didn't even get that one. That one in your notes, so you don't even know what to do with that. Uh, uh, the, 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 the number one item is this. Keep your eyes on Jesus and watch his every move. You'll enjoy the meal more. If you do that, amen? Uh, see, wake up. I know you stayed up way too late to watch the storm, but wake up this morning with me now. Uh, right before him, there was a man hugely swollen in his joints. So Jesus asked the religion scholars and the Pharisees that were present, is it permitted to heal on the Sabbath, yes or no? They were silent. So he took the man, healed him, and sent him on his way. Then he said, is there anyone here who, if a child or animal fell down a well, wouldn't rush to pull him out immediately, not asking whether or not it was the Sabbath, and they were stumped? There was nothing they could say to that. So he went on to tell the story to the guests around the table, noticing how each had tried to elbow into the place of honor. He said, when someone invites you to dinner, don't take the place of honor. Somebody more important than you might have been invited by the host. Then he'll come and call you out in front of everybody. You're in the wrong place. The place of honor belongs to this man, red-faced. You'll have to make your way to the very last table, the only place left. And when you're invited to dinner, go and sit at the least place, the last place. Then when the host comes, he may very well say, friend, come up to the front. That will give the dinner guests something to talk about. What I'm saying is, if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. Then he turned to the host and said this, The next time you put on a dinner, don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors, the kind of people who will return the favor. Invite some people who never get invited out. The misfits from the wrong side of the tracks. You'll be and experience a blessing. They won't be able to return the favor, but the favor will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. T 
table manners. Jesus says if you're going to come to the table, you got to know how to act. you got to have the manners in place. And so three very specific manners that he deals with. The first one is this. Our meals should heal. Notice, if you will, that Jesus walks into a meal environment, and the first thing he does is he doesn't concern himself with nourishment for himself. Instead, he reaches out and he heals somebody else. Now, this going to get tight in here. Y'all might as well get ready because, see, what I've realized is that in North American Christianity and in church life, we've made church about being seen. That's why you clean up. Some of y'all ain't taking a shower all week long, and all of a sudden on Sunday morning, you clean up. And we're so thankful that you do. But, but the truth is, is that we do it because we want people to see us. But Jesus made it very clear that when we come together around a meal, and I'm not talking about literal food. I'm talking about spiritual food and literal food, but mainly spiritual food. When we come together in an environment like this, our number one priority is that this time together should heal. It's not about me getting my nourishment on. See, the, the, the question is no longer, uh, ha, have, have I gotten what I needed? I know y'all weren't ready for me this morning because, see, we, we, I, I'm not concerned whether you got your praise on last week. I don't care if you got the goosebumps you thought you were supposed to get. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not really concerned if you got your grub on last week or even this morning. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that you encounter God. But the question is, have you taken time to look around you? Because what I've discovered is that if, if we're not careful, we make church about us. And we fail to look around us and recognize we won't even look around us to see if there's any pain around us. But we got our praise on. Have you taken time to notice the pain, the sickness, the needs of those that are two rows back? Have you gathered around to, to see that if we're going to gather in an eating environment where there's nourishment being provided, that our number one responsibility is not finding nourishment for ourselves. It should heal those around us. In fact, I want to say it like this, is that if when we get together, all we're going to do is eat. We're going to nourish ourselves. We're going to consume what's being laid out on the table. We're just going to make sure we get ours, that what that does is it turns us into fat Christians. Consumerism has overtaken us. What can you do for me? We never give out. We take in, but we never utilize what we're consuming to touch Others, have you ever been to a church? Have you ever been in fellowship with other believers where it did everything but heal? Don't raise your hand because I, I would have to raise my hand. I've been in an environment where we just make what happens on Sundays and we make what happens on Saturdays and make what happens in fellowship times about us and, and, and we get our nourishment but we never stop and allow the Holy Spirit to stop us in the middle of a meal and say, is there somebody here that I see, that I recognize, that the Holy Spirit has spoken to me about, that there's pain in their life. Our meals should heal. We, let, 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 me, let me change it for you this morning. I've I, I recognized something about Jesus. When Jesus burst onto the scene in his earthly ministry, his life became one big interruption. Think about that. Uh, he, he shows up at a wedding feast and his mama says, hey boy, we ran out of wine. We need some wine. And he says, woman, it ain't my time yet. What have I got to do with you? In other words, you've interrupted me. Leave me alone. 
but she wouldn't leave him alone. And so he works the first miracle and turns water into wine. And from that moment forward, everywhere he went, he was constantly, daily, minute by minute being interrupted. He couldn't go anywhere. And people were grabbing him by the bottom of his, of his robe. And they were pushing through the crowd and yelling his name and trying, trying to get to him. One big interruption after another. And I say that to you because that is how we are supposed to come to the table. Here it is. We should arrive in fellowship with other people expecting to be interrupted. You should show up on Sundays. You should show up at fellowship expecting to be interrupted by the needs of others and expecting God to use you to meet those needs. That is a different way of doing church. That's different. Because most of us just come to church going, I wonder what I'm going to get today. I wonder if the preacher's going to say something that meets my needs today. I wonder if I'm going to get my miracle today. But Jesus is showing us that you show up at a meal and you go, hey, I'm going to look around first. And before I nourish myself, I'm going to find somebody that needs nourishment. I'm going to reach out and minister to them. We cannot become the church. We cannot become the people that doesn't stop long enough and meet other people's needs. See, um, I've learned this. I'm trying to get better at this. I'm not very good at this. I'm type A to the 19th degree. I mean, my lists have lists. I've got lists for my list. I, I am so task-oriented. It's my mama's fault. I blame her. I went to move her entertainment center with my dad this week so that they could get their uh, cocks chained to AT&T. And I moved the inter- we're getting ready to move the entertainment center. I opened the doors to move the CDs and the DVDs out so it'll be a little lighter. And she has a list in her entertainment center of what's supposed to be in her entertainment center. So it's her fault. Her fault. And so I am entirely type A, task oriented. And so my mode is that if I got something to do, I'll walk right past you and not even notice you. See? I've had people, I, I'm all right with it. I mean, I'm trying to work on it. I understand it's a weakness. Uh, I've had people say, man, you just stuck up. I'm not stuck up. I got stuff to do. <laughs> Get out of my way. Jesus had stuff to do, but he had this tendency. He walked slowly through the crowd, making eye contact, seeing what was going on. He wasn't just looking at their face. He was looking at their soul. And what Jesus is trying to teach us is that in the busyness of church and in the busyness of worship and in the busyness of life, that we've got to live our life in such a manner that we begin to look around and we allow what's in us to come out of us and heal people. That speaks to the tenor of the atmosphere of our church that has nothing to do with special prayer times for healing. It has everything to do with how you show up in the parking lot. And it has everything to do with how you deal with people in the lobby. And as you deal with people leaving, it's this concept that while I'm talking to you about how great the thunder did this week, in the back of my mind, although I'm talking to you about the thunder, I'm thinking, God, is there something in their life that I need to be praying for? And as I rub shoulders with you, I slow down long enough to let the anointing for healing rub off on you as well. That's a different mentality. Our meals should heal. So we've got to arrive with expectation in our hearts to be interrupted, but also to be expecting to be used by God. The second thing he said is this. He said, he didn't say it just like this, but he said it kind of like this. He said, don't blow the nose. 
Or, here's the second part of it, throw any bows. And I'll explain. The word is extremely and abundantly clear about what happens when we become proud. Pride cometh before. Yeah. Yep. See, if we're going to have good table manners, we can't blow our nose. Uh, we, we can't be nosy. That doesn't have nothing to do with getting in people's business. That has everything to do with the ability to get our nose out of the air, not to become arrogant. That's why, although I am extremely thrilled about the attendance we had last week, on Monday I sent my leadership team two emails. One said that Stephen Furtick's church in Charlotte, which is only, I think, four years old or five years old, happened to just have 22,000 on Sunday morning last week. That way we wouldn't get big head and think we're something we're not. I'm thankful for the 412, but it wasn't 22,000. Yeah, why would I do that? Not because I don't appreciate the 412. It's just that I am convinced that we've got to make sure that we don't blow our nose. We've got to keep our, our head level and recognize that we cannot fight for attention. Jesus shows up at this meal, and the Word says that the people were literally fighting for position. So I would say it like this, no power plays, uh, no position pushes. Instead, we must become about this. Here it is, here it is, here's the word. If you, if you miss everything else today, get this one. We must become about preference. You mean I get, to, I get to prefer my own way? That's not what he's saying. No, no, no. I have a preference. I prefer you over me. See, now this, this is hard. Because we kind of like us. I kind of like me. I don't know about you, but I like me. Yeah. But Jesus says we got to come to this place where we prefer others over ourselves. So here it is. Here it is. When I get to church, my number one priority is not getting blessed. It's seeing somebody else get blessed. I've been, I've been contemplating the story of the four men who uh, had a friend that was lame and sick and uh, they put, it, put him on a bed and they went to see Jesus and they couldn't get in the house so they ripped the roof off and lowered him. Y'all remember that story, right? I just had this fleeting thought. I, I can't prove this and, 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 and it may be a stretch. I don't think it's a stretch. But could it possibly be that one of those four men actually had a need that they could have used a touch from Jesus for? Could it have been one of these guys had a, a, a financial miracle that they needed? Could it be one of these guys had an emotional need that if they could have just got to Jesus? Could it have been that one of these guys had a relationship issue, a spiritual issue, some other issue that they needed a touch? And guess what? They were better suited to get to Jesus than the man they took. And yet, they understood how to deal with their nose. And they preferred their brother over themselves. Some of us just need a really good nose job. Our nose is too high in there. We think better of ourselves. I don't prefer you. Let me, let me ask you some questions. We need, we need to, 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 to ask us this. I want you to stop. Seriously now, I wrote it down. I'm going to read it just like I wrote it because I want to make sure I get it right. Boy, that was fast. Did you stay up with me on that? Okay, I, don't, I doubt it. Uh, I want you to stop just for a second and literally think through this for a moment. Who in here, if they got their miracle, would bless you more than if you got a miracle yourself? 
in your life who, let's, let's say you know somebody that, that, that their house is about to be foreclosed on and, and they call you up this afternoon and you've been struggling financially, but they call you up and say, man, you'll never believe what happened. Somebody walked over. I don't even know who it was. They stuck an envelope in my mailbox and paid off my whole house. Who in your life would you set the phone down and go, thank you, Jesus? Or would you set your phone down and go, God, you tick me off sometimes. They don't even go to church. They don't even pay their stinking tithes. How can you? May I submit to you that if you don't have somebody in your life that you prefer for a miracle over yourself, then you've got a nose problem. Can I suggest that you begin to arrive at church on Sunday morning for one purpose and one purpose only? I really want you to do this. I want you to show up at church for the sole purpose of seeing, you pick who it is, get their miracle. I, I want you to start expecting every Sunday, man, God, I just I just want to show up at church and I want to see them healed. I want to see them delivered. I want to see them set free. I want to see their addiction broken. I want to see their life changed. I want to see everything they've ever asked for come to pass. That's why I'm at church. That's different, y'all. That's not about I want to go to church so I can get my Cadillac. And so my house will be bigger than everybody else's house. And so that I will glow in the dark and gold will come into my atmosphere. This, this, this is about I've got brothers and sisters sitting around me that desperately need a touch. And Jesus said that we've got to learn to have good table manners. Can I suggest that we will be more blessed and more benefited if we would get some folks around us that need to be blessed? Paul comes along and he teaches us to compete with one another. That's kind of odd. That kind of stands in contrast to what we're talking about. It's in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. He says this. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. That's about preference. I prefer you over myself. I want to teach you this this morning. We got to start competing with one another. I want to compete with you. I want to compete to see you healed. My person get blessed before your person gets blessed. We're going to compete. Let's compete right. Jesus makes it very clear that that's how we should live. Then he goes on and he says, don't throw any elbows. Uh, By the way, you can't even throw elbows in basketball and get away with it, but we will throw elbows at church and never think twice. It's quiet in here. One man said it like this. I think he was right. He said, it is not scientific doubt. Not atheism, not pantheism, not agnosticism that in our day and in this land is likely to quench the light of the gospel. It is a proud, sensuous, selfish, luxurious, church-going, hollow-hearted, prosperity believer that will quench the gospel in our day. People that are willing to throw bows. So in other words, what I'm saying is no entourages. I can carry my own Bible, thank you very much. No pride parades. See, I know I know how we do. Some of y'all, uh, it's not like you show up late every week because you're running late. Y'all ain't never been to this church. I've been to this church. People show up late so they could walk in and make sure everybody sees them. He said, don't throw bows. Don't, don't push yourself into position. Don't, don't try to highlight you. Maybe what we ought to do. See, Jesus says like this, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Uh, 
When I was growing up, I went to this camp in Anadarko, Oklahoma, West Oklahoma, and every mealtime we had these, the, a dining hall that had long tables. They were just one right after the other. And we used to, to eat like this. Y'all think I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. We used to eat our meal like this because we had this tradition. The tradition was if that we ever caught you with your elbows on the table, we would sing this song. And it went kind of like this. <laughs> Get your elbows off the table, Dennis Lowry. We didn't use Dennis's name. It was whoever we caught, but for, for this. Get your elbows off the table, Dennis Lowry. We have seen you do it twice, and it isn't very nice. Get your elbows off the table, Dennis Lowry. Then we would go to this. Round the table, you must go. And we would get up and sprint around these long tables because here was it. Here, here it is. If you didn't make it back to your chair before they finished singing the song, then they would go, round the table, go again, go again. And we'd just keep them circling all lunchtime long. I'm wondering maybe at Passion, we don't have a lot of policies here, but maybe we ought to set this policy. Maybe, maybe we'll just put this in motion. Uh, if you see somebody posturing for position, throwing elbows, well, I don't like the way they, it, I, I don't like that paint color. I would have chose a different color of rock. I don't like that song. You're sitting in my chair. Why don't you just walk up to them and remind them of the policy and just, just whisper in there, get your elbows off the table. Why? Because this is not about us. It's an interesting phenomenon, I've seen it happen over and over again, that when you become concerned about somebody else's miracle and somebody else's need, things change for you. I, I've told the story before, but I'll tell it real quick again because I think it's appropriate. I, I'll never forget uh, one of my dear young ladies in my youth ministry, um, she had some self-esteem issues. She was self-conscious. Um, she didn't really like herself, and she drove me crazy. I know y'all don't have any of those kind of folks in your life, but she just drove me nuts. I mean, she needed our attention constantly. She was trying. She'd do everything in her power to get our attention. I mean, we were diligent. She she came and told us she was going to kill herself, and we didn't just blow it off. We did our research, made sure that that wasn't really the case. I mean, we were, we were good youth pastors and did, you know, I just didn't go, well, then go ahead. There's nothing like that. I mean, we really did try to help. But what we discovered, it was just a self-esteem issue. She wanted attention. Drove me crazy. I didn't even mean to do it. No, I mean, I, I meant to take them on the mission trip, but I didn't know it would, this would happen. We, we decided to go on this mission trip to Guatemala, and one of our stops was we went to the Guatemala City Dump. Um, huge. You pull up. It's not like, I mean, it's, you've probably been to one of our dumps, but it's horrendous. I mean, me, I, I, how many people live in Guatemala City? A million people. I mean, it's a big old city. And mounds and mounds of trash. And we pull in there, and it stinks, and it's nasty. And we get out, and we walk out there to the dump because there are 5,000 families that live in the dump. They literally scoop out like caves in the, in the garbage and put up cardboard and scrap metal and build them little huts, and they... The, the, they live right there in the dump, and we watched his children go digging through the trash. The dump trucks would pull in from the city, and they would literally stand under the back of the truck as it would tilt up and dump all the stuff because they wanted to be the first to get the best stuff, and they find their clothes and their food and their essentials. Unbelievable. 
I'll never forget it. I've got a picture of it. It's one of my favorite pictures from our missions trip. This same young lady that was all about her and so consumed with her own needs and I need help and you guys aren't giving me attention. I've got this picture of her sitting on the curb with a little Guatemalan child wrapped up in her arms and she's giving him her Coke. Interesting phenomenon. When we got home, I never had any more problems with this little little girl. She never once again said, it's about me. Y'all aren't paying me attention. I need, I need. All of a sudden, her attention changed, and she recognized that good table manners dictate that we don't throw bows. It's not about us. And then the last manner that Jesus teaches us is that we ought to flip the favor. Jesus identifies a key tendency in us. We like to hang out with folks who can give back to us. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm not the most transparent guy in the room. There's some other guys that are more transparent than me, Woody Burpo. But, uh, there are, but I'm transparent enough to mess with you to tell you that most of us, uh, most of us, in the back of our minds, when we deal with one another, whether we tell you or not, what's really going on in the back of our mind is what can you do for me? Like if I take you out to a nice dinner, I ain't going to tell you, but in the back of my mind, I'm going, you better be taking me to a nice dinner too. Right? We like to hang out with people like us. But Jesus was a clickbuster. He was a comfort zone destroyer. And he says, you know what? Flip the favor. Quit just hanging out with people that can bless you back. Ah, oh, come on now. That's what he says. He, he, he looks at the host of the dinner and says, the next time you throw one of these, don't just invite people that can invite you to their meal. Go out and find people. And here it is. Y'all hang with me for just a second. I'm going to be done. He says, don't just welcome them to the table. Invite them. Bring them in. Oh, but Steve, you don't know. We welcome anybody at this church. Everybody, every church in Oklahoma City welcomes anybody that wants to show up. But there's a world of difference between welcoming somebody and actually going out and getting them. People that don't fit. Jesus says, go out and find the misfits, the marginalized. Used to be that the folks on the wrong side of the track, that had two connotations. Number one, they were broke. Or two, they were of a different color. But I got news for you today. You can be around people in your life now that are the same color as you and make a lot more money than you and they steal from the wrong side of the tracks because they don't fit in. They're marginalized. Nobody wants them. They don't have a place. They don't. And Jesus says to us, if you're going to have good table manners, what you've got to do is you've got to go get them and it becomes your obligation. Here it is, to make them fit in. And so what I want to say to you this morning is that if we are going to become the body that God has called us to become, and if we're going to become the kind of people that we are supposed to become, we have got to flip the favor and begin to minister to people that will never be able to do anything back for us. Because Jesus says at the moment that we take care of those folks, the one that can pay us back will. So let's get real practical. Just, just for a moment, just real practical. That means that when you show up at the meal, you ought to sit by somebody that nobody else wants to sit by. See, we have people every week that sit in here, and they sit all by themselves, and we allow it to happen. 
That's not good table manners. I knew it was going to get quiet during the practical stuff. That means you actually greet people that you don't know. Uh, Julie and I had the privilege of uh, going to Tennessee over spring break, and we were consulting for a church, and one of our tasks was to kind of study as we walk in as visitors what happens. So the first night, Saturday night, we walk into the church, and we time it. How long from the moment we walk in till somebody talks to us as a visitor? Fourteen and a half minutes. I went to the pastor and I said, you ain't going to be happy about this, bro. And he wasn't. But I wonder how many, I, I, let me just say it like this. I'm so thankful that this church is one of the most welcoming churches. You guys are really good about talking to people once they get here. We welcome anybody. But what about going out and bringing them in? What about once they get in the room and nobody else wants to sit by them because they don't smell just right? I started to plant somebody. I was going to get somebody and make them stink and make them, like, dress them like a bum and, and pull them in and set them next to you. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, you've got to come to this place where you will reach out to the marginalized and flip the favor on them and say, you know what? Not only are you welcome, but I will sit by you and here it is. I will help you fit in. See, we're not taught to do that. You know where we learn not to do that? In kindergarten. Because anybody that's weird, doesn't just quite fit in, we just bully them and make fun of them. That's what we were taught to do. And so we carry it over into our church life, and we never, un we never learn table manners. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to find people that don't fit in and cause them to fit in. So here it is. Who are you favoring? Three table manners. Are you willing to be interrupted so that our meals will heal? Two, are you willing to deal with your nose so that we don't become so arrogant that we don't care about anybody else but us getting ours? Don't throw any elbows. This is not about finding position and prominence. This is about elevating the Father and the Father alone. And Three, are you willing to flip the favor and actually reach out to folks that will never be able to pay you back. I don't ever want to hear from us. Listen, I don't want, don't, please don't ever come say this to me. If we do it over there, they won't ever come to our church. We can't do an Easter egg hunt over there. That, that ain't ever going to get us any church members. That's why we do the Easter egg hunt like we do it, because I, it's not about growing membership. It's about sharing favor that they would never get otherwise. Why? Because if you come to the table, you got to know how to act so you can stay at the table. And I want us to stay at the table. And so we've got to treat each other accordingly. I'm going to let it be a little different this morning. I just want you to stay seated. I want to pray over you. We're going to give our invitation. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, that this is your moment. Because you may say, Steve, I, I, I don't know the Lord, and I'm not at the table, and I'm not in fellowship, and I need to be in fellowship. Today's your day. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, you know the cry of our heart.
There are probably people under the sound of my voice that are not at the table. They're not in fellowship with you. And it is our cry. It is our sincere desire for them to know you. So, Holy Spirit, I pray this morning, if there's somebody here that needs to come to the table, you would pull on them right now and they would come to that place where they would relinquish control of their life for just a moment and allow you to become the Lord and the Savior and you would usher them to the table. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here, you'd say, Steve, I don't know Jesus. I need to know Him. I want to know Him. I want to be in fellowship. I won't embarrass you because this is not about making a name for us. This is about getting you in relationship with Christ. And we just want to pray intelligently for you. If you don't know Jesus and you want to know him this morning, would you just quickly raise a hand and pull it right back down so that we can pray for you intelligently. Make sure that you are in right relationship with him. Is there one that would say, I need to know him? Father, you know the needs this morning. I pray if there's one watching over the internet right now that doesn't know you, that right there where they are, you would meet their needs. They would surrender their heart and life to you. We thank you for saving us and ushering us and giving us the right and the privilege of coming to your table. In Jesus' name, amen. Every head still bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, you say, Steve, and seriously, I don't want to see anybody looking around. This is just not even the prayer team. This is just between me, you, and God. If you're here, you'd say, Steve, I, 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 I just need to be honest. I feel like a misfit. I don't feel like I fit in. I, I, I don't know how to find my place. I, at moments, I feel marginalized. I feel like an outcast. And I just need to know that somebody cares. If that's you, I want you to just raise your hand and pull it right back down. Yeah, one. Anybody else? Two. Yeah, you can pull it back down. Three. Anybody else? Yep. Three or four at least. I'm going to pray over you, and then I'm going to give you an assignment. That's a little bit different. Father, this morning you saw the hands in a crowd but lonely. Right in the middle of a meal, we're fellowshipping, we're communing. And yet, they don't feel like they belong. So, Father, this morning I pray that you'd speak deep to their spirit first of all. And I pray that you would allow them to know without a shadow of a doubt that they are not only welcome, but they are invited to the table. They belong here. They're part of our body. They're part of our family. I pray that every wall would come down, every defense mechanism would be dropped, and they would ingrain themselves in the body. And, Father, I pray that you would allow us to learn to flip the favor, and we would begin to love on folks. And, Father, I pray that you would allow us to come to the place in our spiritual walk where we would allow you to interrupt us. And when we feel those promptings of the Spirit, we would respond and love people into fellowship and in communion with you. So, Father, this morning, those that raise their hand, I pray that you would let them experience your love today with flesh on. I pray that at some moment before they can get out of this building, someone led by the Holy Spirit would reach out and wrap them up with grace and mercy and favor and they would find themselves experiencing favor for the first time or for the first time in a long time and Father we'll praise you and give you glory and honor for all that you're doing in our midst and in our lives in Jesus name 
here's your assignment before Pastor Danny comes. I'm just going to give you your in assignment when he dismisses you this morning. I'm going to ask you to purpose in your heart two things. One, that you will begin to come to church expecting someone else to get their miracle and you'll be thrilled about it. But second, let's get real practical this morning. I, this is your assignment before you leave the building. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to interrupt you. Some of you feel like, man, I got to get out of here. I, I got stuff to do. I got to go eat. I got to go clean the house. I, I got to go watch some basketball, whatever. But I'm really challenging you to just pause for just a moment because sitting around you, some of you don't know that some of the folks around you are the ones that raise their hands. That you sit, Some of you sit by these same people every week. And you never even knew it, but they feel like they don't fit. And while you're talking to them about how many sirens went off last night and what they've got planned this week, I really want you to purpose in your heart. My assignment is this. i got to listen carefully to the voice and the leading of the Holy Spirit and let Him speak to me so that just perhaps I'll be the one to reach over and put an arm around somebody and say, I appreciate the fact that you're here. And that will change their life forever. That's different. Because the question is not, did you get your goosebumps today? Hope you did. But does it really matter? Does it really matter if you got your goosebumps or not when there are four people sitting in here that feel like misfits? Table manners. So we can stay at the table. Danny? Good morning, Passion Church of Fear. Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress.